the plot to kill Jesus and sheep, goats, and wolves. Today's verses are pointed. Jesus has forced the antithesis, the separation, the final divide, that will take us toward his death and the end of John's gospel in the months to come. It's not overt, but subtle, as we watch and observe who goes with which party. That and the ever-present theme found in all four Gospels, how are you going to act? How are you going to act? Whose side are you ultimately on? Jesus made it clear in Luke chapter 12 that whosoever denies me before men, I will deny before my heavenly Father. Bottom line, by the time we get here in John, the battle line is being crossed by both sides. And it's merely a working out of which side every person we read about is going to end up playing his or her part on. This should not surprise us as it's merely an outworking of Genesis 3.15 when Jehovah God said the following, quote, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's a scarlet thread of redemption that moves from the Garden of Eden through the bloodline of Adam and Eve, as Scripture shows us, beginning with their third son, Seth. It leads all the way through the Old Testament up to Jesus, the Son of God, as Matthew calls him, the last Adam, as St. Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 15. And then there are those throughout history who end up on one side of that bloodline or the other, the seed of the serpent or the seed of the woman. Those seeds will give birth to either sheep or goats, and some goats become wolves. Let's hear God's word and be warned. Beginning with verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he, meaning Jesus, did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. And thus ends the reading of God's word. We've seen it all before in previous chapters. Who will follow and who will not, and who will probably become killers in the end. Jesus' entire ministry is not filled with sugar and spice and everything nice, the cute little fairy tale, but in many respects resembles a murder mystery. Because as the Apostle John brings people to our 
attention, you never know who you're dealing with. Who's a brother and sister in the Lord? Or an outright killer, just as the prophets of old faced in the Old Testament from their old brethren. Granted, apostate brethren, but brethren nonetheless. Consider, Cain killed his brother Abel. Absalom, who not only killed his brother, but took a shot at the title. Kingship, his father David's. All of them, all the way up to and including Judas Iscariot, as we will see. St. Paul marks such people out in his epistles, as does St. John in his epistles. People once walked with the Lord and the brethren and are now out. Verse 45 to 46 shows this antithesis between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent quite clearly. In verse 45 we read, Many of the Jews, therefore, had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. In those two verses, we see an example of each group running, ultimately, to the party they served, playing their part in God's cosmic drama. There's no greater example. St. John then moves the narrative over to what happened with the Sanhedrin. We don't know how he got this information. Did John follow the group that went to the chief priest? Did someone who was already there at a later point in time share with John what had happened? Scripture is silent. But however John received that information, we do know this. The dark lords once again gathered in their masses, like witches in black masses. And the head witch was there and said some things of interest. It's of interest because we see an example of the Herodians amongst this group who oddly acknowledge the signs and wonders of Jesus. And yet, and yet, they reference them not to the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, but rather what it will mean for them and their public ratings. Even more strange, they state that if people begin to follow Jesus, then the Romans are going to take away their position in the nation and the nation itself. Then the high priest speaks. Let's attend to those verses now and attempt to unpack them. Verse 47 and following. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered in the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Ascends God's holy word. So here there are four points of interest. One, Caiaphas, the high priest, basically tells them, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Is he right, though, ultimately? Two, John also notes that Caiaphas, the high priest, spoke these things not of himself, but it was given to him. Well, given to him by whom? Three, equally the phrase, once a year someone has to die for the nation, well, that's a re uh, reference to Leviticus 16, verse 8 to 10, the tradition of the scapegoat. One goat slaughtered, 
within the city, another one is left out into the wilderness. And four, John also notes that the high priest stated that the teaching of Jesus were going to go out to the entire people of God outside of Israel. So we have a fulfillment in many respects of Psalm 2, verse 2, right? The kings of the earth set themselves together and the rulers against the Lord and his anointed, right? We also see an example of a, a New Testament, Balaam's ass speaking. They acknowledged his credentials but deny his commission that the Father, Jehovah God, had sent him. They acknowledge his power to convert, but deny that it's a worthy conversion for the good of men's souls. They foresee the future, that many more will come on to him, and, and this is important, that they will lose their place and their control over men's hearts and minds. All were true, in spite of Caiaphas saying, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And yet the Messiah they supposedly waited for they denied vehemently. Even more shocking, the other men in the Sanhedrin, they seemed to know in their spirit that the Romans were going to come and take away their place, their city, and their holy place, the temple. And that Proverbs 10.24 is clearly evident. The fear of the wicked shall come upon them. So verses 49 and 50 are fascinating. As are 51 and 52, Caiaphas, unbeknownst to himself, is little better than the ancient Assyrians that Assyria, that, excuse me, Isaiah wrote, that were merely a tool in spite of their wickedness to do the will of the Lord God and bring a judgment upon a nation. Caiaphas was a man of power, a petty religious king who understood well the political situation in Israel, both within and amongst the Jews, but equally without in relationship to the Romans. Those with him that day had spelled it out clearly. Yet similar to Balaam's ass, Caiaphas speaks unbeknownst to himself, both the prophecy of what Jesus' death would mean for Israel, as well as those people that were God-fearers that the book of Acts mentions, as well as those afar off that the Lord had yet to call on his divine providence noted by Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, you've got to read that. St. John makes reference in Revelation chapter 7, 9 to the entire world. Yet what he, Caiaphas, does not realize is that this death, which in the short term would serve his and the Sanhedrin's purpose, would also be their death sentence as the ancient Levitical house of Aaron. St. John makes it clear that this was not from Caiaphas' own heart and mind, what he leaves unsaid, that it's obviously of the Spirit of God. Both at this meeting of Pharisees gathered in their masses, as well as when they pronounced the covenantal curse upon the house of Israel for two generations, we see this happening. Indeed, as the people would say at the final trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate, quote, let his death be upon us and our children, end quote. Matthew 27, 25. It's two generations, them and their children. Uh, many people mistakenly view this and say, ah, oh, this means they're cursed forever. Anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus is cursed, okay? No, 
that covenantal curse right there is for the adults and the children in that generation. Because remember, when the children of this generation who put Jesus to death are adults, the Romans come and kill them. Right? So again, they were bringing about the end of the ancient world, temple worship and Levitical priesthood. AD 70, Jerusalem is destroyed by the Romans along with the temple. AD 132, the Bar Koba rebellion against the Romans, who once again would hammer the Jews into the ground. But again, all these things were prophesied, particularly the death of Christ. That's who Daniel was prophesying about in Daniel 9, verse 26. Or Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah noted in chapter 49, 6, that this death would go to the ends of the earth in its salvific effect. That someone, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lion of Judah, who would face down sin and death and the devil and take captivity captivity by dying and destroying the works of the devil. That's why he had come, as John told us in the epistle, 1 John 3, 8. And equally, that this prince of this world was going to be cast out of this world and John chapter 12, verse 31, St. Paul prophesies to the Christians in Rome that they would shortly trample Satan under their feet in Romans 16, 20. Thus, an improvidential serendipitude did Caiaphas actually tell the truth about what this one man who would die for the nation would actually accomplish through his death, through his gospel, and ultimately through his people as they preach his gospel. For as St. Matthew stated in chapter 13, beginning with verse 31, another parable he put forth onto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs and becometh a tree. So no matter what we see happening in our time in history, let us not lose hope. God is working. He's always working. Even now, in modern America and Europe, at one time, the stalwarts of Christendom, the twin pillars of Western civilization, God is at work. Australia and New Zealand, the twin pillars of Asian Pacific Christian civilization, God is working there. His people are ever there. My one son is in the Air Force. He was in a pub in Australia, was talking to a guy, and a guy was reading one of the theology books that we sell here in our church uh, bookstore. So God's people are everywhere, everywhere. He's shaking apart and smashing down all that oppose him and his Christ, as the psalmist prophesied in Psalm 2, verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And again in Psalm 110, verse 4 through 6, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand will strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. God will crush, not convert, those who stand against him. 
God will convert by his spirit, John 3, 3. Those he calls, Acts 2.39, including some who oppose him. God will build his kingdom, which Christ commands us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It will be built not by strength, not by might, but by my spirit I will accomplish this, Zechariah 4.6. Always remember, the state is the ministry of wrath and destruction. The church is the ministry of grace and forgiveness. Both are instituted by God. Both are divine powers to accomplish God's purpose in time, in history, and on earth. All that the scribes and Pharisees in their masses, just like witches at black masses did, was to bring about that which had been prophesied of old, about the coming of the kingdom of God and his Christ. It would be their only prophecy recorded in Scripture, and unwittingly, and unwittingly, the most powerful and truthful thing that had ever been uttered in the Sanhedrin. Amen and amen, let it be so, Lord, thy kingdom come. And for us, united in company of the faithful and looking for the coming of the kingdom, let us offer our prayers to God, the source of all life and holiness. Let's pray. Merciful Lord, strengthen all Christian people by your Holy Spirit, that we may live as a royal priesthood and a holy nation, to the praise of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. On this day, All Saints Day, we celebrate the mystical body of Christ. Those who are amongst the victorious dead, we salute. Those living, we encourage. And those you have yet to call in thy kingdom, we pray for you. Let the earth hear thy voice, O Lord. Amen and amen.